Section 7 of Whispering Tunnels by Stephen Bagby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Part 7. Little John found Falaise and Crescent awaiting him in the guest chamber. They listened breathlessly as he told the story of his discovery. It can readily be seen, he explained, that the geyser below is the source of the whisper in this fortress. It is, of course, intermittent in its action, more active at night because of cooler atmosphere. There seems to be no connection between the whisper and the curse, although it was natural, of course, to associate them because both were usually active at the same time. The deaths and insanity of men here, in my opinion, occurred from fright. Bloodshed so freely here during the war undoubtedly recalled the sorcerer's curse with redoubled power, and the familiar haunted his victims one by one. You need never again fear the whisper, for I have exercised the curse. Within an hour from the time Falaise had gone from the guest chamber, the Americans were requested to appear before Colonel Dupin. The grizzled commander began chuckling when he saw Cresson, and an amused glint lurked in his eyes. Falaise, who stood by his side, motioned them to chairs. Messieurs, said Papa Dupin, I believe now the story told by Monsieur Cresson of his being haunted in the guest chamber. Major Falaise has explained it. To say that I am grateful for the exercising of the curse of Dr. Little John would not express a small part of the gratitude I feel toward him. I suspected the tragedies here were caused by some curse, but I was powerless to combat it. Peace and contentment will be ours from now on. The esteemed doctor and Major Falaise have rendered another great service. This morning, for instance, they found a certain copper wire, which Monsieur Cresson will remember as having tripped him up in the tunnel, was connected to a powerful blasting battery beneath a trap door in the anteroom. This trap door was cleverly built into the floor. No one in the fort suspecting it was there. But someone knew of it during the war, and gentlemen, that part of the fort were supposed to have been demolished by enemy shells, was actually destroyed by the deliberate blowing up of its powder magazine. You mean blown up? gasped Cresson. Precisely, replied the colonel. The guilty person must have been a traitor. He must have acted with lightning swiftness, for the enemy had begun the attack that later captured the fortress. Now I believe that the underground vaults beneath the ruins still exist, covered with debris. In this case, the three of you might uncover the evidence we seek. I will hold a detail of men in readiness to clear the ruins tomorrow. Will you do this much for France? The three men agreed, thanking him for his confidence. Papa Dupin then turned to Cresson. My son, he said earnestly, Captain Chamon was your friend, and you are most anxious to clear his name. I, too, am anxious to do this, but we must have evidence more overwhelmingly reliable than that the government now has against him. Let us hope that we may find it. He clasped the young man's hand, and together the three left the colonel's office. Fully fifty soldiers began digging in the ruins the next morning. On the morning of the third day, one of the men uttered a sharp cry as his shovel bared a heavy iron ring. He scraped frantically revealing it embedded in a square block of stone, which was fastened with a great sliding bolt, so wedged and bent that sawing it into sections proved the only means of freeing it. The block was removed, 
and those nearest the trap were almost overwhelmed by a rush of foul air. Falaise ran about excitedly. "'That door was bolted before the explosion,' he cried, "'by someone on the outside. Men below were trapped like rats.' His excitement increased as the descent down the flight of stairs revealed two other traps, similarly bolted. When these were opened, Cresson, seizing a powerful electric torch, sprang down the moldy stone steps. "'Little John!' he shouted. "'It is that same room, the very same that I escaped from the morning you found me!' The doctor, with difficulty, restrained Cresson, for the latter's excitement had gradually increased as the two had begun the descent with fillets and a group of six men. The electric torches of the Americans flashed over the vaulted ceiling, accentuating the shadows and festoons of cobwebs that hung from the stones like long fingers. Far away the searchers heard the rushing of water, which Cresson had described in relating his experience, and it seemed to the group that the sound arose from under the flagstones in a sort of indescribable roar. Suddenly their torches shone on a massive iron tripod rising from the center of the chamber. "'The floodgate control!' Falaise exclaimed in odd tones. "'The levers are down, and yet neither magazine nor tunnels were ever flooded. "'The men were thought killed by shells, which destroyed this part of the fort, "'but this now shows that they arrived here.' "'The officer was plainly puzzled, "'explaining that the machinery was one of the fort's most powerful weapons of defense "'before the wing was destroyed. "'At all times,' he said, a detail of men stood in readiness to turn the waters of the Meuse into either the powder magazine or the tunnels to render them useless to the enemy. A horror-stricken exclamation came from Cresson as the light of his torch fell upon the glint of dull gold from a huddled object on the flagstone. Drawing near, he perceived it to be a skeleton in the uniform of a French officer. A trench helmet lay beside the body, and a short distance away, an overcoat. The sight made members of the party gasp. Cresson stooped swiftly to examine the identifying bracelet about the bony wrist, leaping back with a gasp. Jules Chamon, he cried, reeling away from the spot. A shout from one of the soldiers told that another skeleton had been found. Near it lay a third, and not far away others, until the remains of thirty-three soldiers had been counted. Bending over the remains of Jules Chamon, Cresson gave a startled groan which brought the others running to his side. He pulled a sheaf of papers from the skeleton's belt and held it aloft. "'Sand for the colonel,' he commanded. A soldier raced away, and soon Papa Dupin arrived in the flood vault, excited and puffing. "'Bring the papers to my office,' the colonel ordered, indicating that the two Americans were to follow him. "'You, Falaise, post a guard here.' and see that no one enters. No one, mind you. He acknowledged the major's salute, and trotted away with Cresson and Little John at his heels. End of Part 7